Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE. Well, this week, as our producer is away on vacation, we're not bringing you a fresh interview, but we do want to continue to bring you fresh content. That's why we're here. We want to serve you and help you think hard about missions, and this week, help you think hard about scripture. Diving into Philippians chapter two, I had the privilege of recently sharing with ABWE staff here at our international headquarters on the twin examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus and what they mean for us who serve in the world world of missions. Now, whether you're a goer or a sender, this will be relevant to you. And so we hope you enjoy this special presentation of this message that I shared with the ABWE staff team. Hope you're encouraged by it. And we'll see you at the end of the episode for just a few housekeeping notes and announcements. It's a blessing to be able to bring God's word this morning. Let's dive right in. Uh, Let's open our Bibles or apps to Philippians chapter 2. I'll be in verses 19 through 30. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. We want to talk about two virtuous men in particular this morning. Uh, But before we dive into that, I'm the type of person who typically needs an example. Uh, When I lead worship uh, at our church, uh, I'm not a great sight reader. I need to be able to hear a recording of a piece of music being played I can follow a lead sheet, but as far as sight reading music on the spot, I'm not great. I need a live visual example. I spoke to somebody on Saturday about helping them with their website. And one of my questions is, show me some examples of other websites that you like, right? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't like to live in the realm of abstractions. Maybe you want to see examples, case studies, models, exemplars to help you in whatever it is, particularly the Christian life. And so this passage here is two such examples. It's not a passage we go to quite as often. It's not quite as quotable as other parts of the book of Philippians. We have, you know, Philippians chapter one, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We have everything in chapter four, my God will supply all of your needs, or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's so many quotable, memeable passages in the book of Philippians. This is one that we could easily skip over because it's highly specific to the circumstances. It's very occasional, related to the occasion. But that's a good thing, because we need specific examples. A note before we read this text here. This comes to us off of the heels of some pretty heavy instructions from the Apostle Paul. Paul has already said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If we were to apply that just for five minutes straight, it would be transformative, right? Do absolutely nothing. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes on from there and he exhorts them to have the mind of Christ. And he shows them this Christ hymn, what we think was a, a song or a poem that the early church used, illustrating the cruciform humility and obedience of Christ that leads to the point where he's exalted to the right hand of the Father and every knee bows to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the example. But it's almost as though the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul along the way knew our hearts. Of course, the Spirit knows our hearts. And I don't know about you, but in my flesh, when I read Philippians chapter 2, I read the Christ hymn. I read about Christ's humility. 
it's tempting for me to look at that and to say, well, okay, but that's Jesus. Certainly God wouldn't require the same level of humility for me. I mean, that's, that's Jesus, right? That's unattainable. And so we also have some examples of regular humans, shall we say, of sinners also living in a virtuous Christian manner. And so let's read this text here. This gives us the examples essentially of a pastor and a missionary, two people who we can model. Verse 19 says this, this is the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing to see you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you all, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's just pray that the Lord would bless our time remaining. Father, we thank you for this inspired text. We pray that you would speak to us this morning through it by your spirit. We pray that anything that is of me as as I unfold this passage would be forgotten, but that you would speak what you want to communicate to your people, to build us up, to edify us, and to help us to live for your glory and to be about the work of mission and to be more like these godly men that we're presented with in scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so to summarize this text with one single statement, a main idea for this morning, it's simply this, that the mission-minded Christian, and that's what we're about here at ABWE is producing those, the mission-minded Christian cares for Christ's interests, Christ's people, and Christ's soldiers. I want to unpack each of those briefly. The mission-minded Christian cares for Christ's interests, Christ's people, and Christ's soldiers. So first, the man that we're given here, Timothy, is someone who cares for Christ's interests and not merely his own. Likewise, we are to do the same. So here's what Paul says in verse 20. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul, as many of us know, is on house arrest, under house arrest in Rome, and he longs for the church in Philippi. He loves them. He wished he could be there with them to comfort them, to minister to them, to see how they're doing. If he could have sent Christ out of heaven and to be personally with them in the flesh, he certainly would have done so. He loved this church. It's a very affectionate letter. So what's the next best thing that Paul can do since he can't send himself, since he can't send Christ down? He hopes in the Lord... So this is a desire that he has that's consistent with the Lord's will. He wants to send Timothy. So what's so great about Timothy? 
there is, Paul says, no one like this guy. Like, you've got to meet Timothy. You, you know how all of us are, right? All of us are, let's just face it, a little bit selfish, right? I'm a creature of habit. I love my morning routine. I've got to wake up at the same time every day. I've got to sit in the same chair, read the same things. I've got to have my same cup of coffee, right? Everything has to go according to plan. I'm a little bit selfish. We all really are. Not Timothy. There's none of this selfishness in Timothy. Everyone else seeks after their own interests, but not Timothy. He seeks after the interests of Christ. And then he says his worth, his value for Paul's ministry is proven. He never left the side of his mentor, Paul, like a son apprenticing in his father's shop. Those of you fellow fathers in the room, uh, especially those with sons, you know the pride that comes to you when your son is helping you out in a project that you're doing in the home uh, or, or out on a job site or something like that, right? There's an incredible pride and joy that comes from that. And that's the language that Paul grasps for in communicating who Timothy is. There's no one like this guy. But notice, when he says there's no one like Timothy, who's he contrasting him with? He's not contrasting him with the insincere preachers in chapter one, right? Paul says there's people that want to afflict him even in his chains, but whether Christ has preached in pretense or in truth, in that I rejoice, right? But that's not who he's contrasting them with necessarily. Neither is Paul contrasting Timothy with the dogs, the circumcision party, the Judaizing heretics of chapter three. They're outside the faith. He's saying, I have no one like him. These are people that Paul has in his band of missionary workers. He's saying, among ministry-minded Christians, I don't have anyone else like this guy. So other people that Paul is referring to, these would have been people who genuinely desired the advance of the gospel. They would have claimed a real concern for the priorities of the kingdom of God. They're probably involved in ministry in some real way. And yet there's one defect. It's that little pinch of leaven that permeates the whole unit. There's that selfishness. And for Paul, it neutralized their ability to be useful to him in ministry. So that when he thought, who can I send to Philippi to minister to them? He didn't even think of any of these other co-workers except for Timothy. This is from John Calvin's commentary on this passage. He says this, from this, Paul's statement, he says, from this it appears how great a hindrance it is to Christ's ministers to seek their own interests. Nor is there any force in any of these excuses. Calvin says, none of these excuses matter, and he lists some of them. Well, I'm not harming anyone. Or, I must have a regard also to my own advantage. Or, I'm not so devoid of feeling as to be prompted, as not to be prompted by a regard to my own advantage. For you must give up your own right if you would discharge your duty. A regard to your own interests must not be put in preference to Christ's glory or even placed on a level with it, Calvin says. In other words, there's a lot of people who want to be used of the Lord. Those of you in mobilization, I was formerly in mobilization, we see how many leads come in, right? But how many of those actually take their next step? The Broad is the top of the funnel. <laughs> Narrow is the bottom of the funnel, right? So many of us become useless in ministry because of that little germ of self-interest that creeps into our hearts. So let's beware of the little excuses and the little lies that we tell ourselves. Well, I need this one thing. 
I deserve it, right? I've earned, look at all that I've done for the Lord. Now it's time, you know, five o'clock. Now it's time for me to be about me. Paul would not have us to indulge our lusts that way. Secondly, not only is the mission-minded Christian concerned for the interests of Christ rather than his own, the mission-minded Christian cares for Christ's people. And I don't want to dwell on this too long, but it's implicit in the text. So let's make it explicit, right? The you that Paul is talking to, I hope to send Timothy to you, is plural. He's addressing the church in Philippi. Paul's heart for the local church here is clear. In verse 24, he says he wants to visit this, the church soon. And he thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus soon too. Where? Back to the church that had sent him at. Verse 25, the church of Philippi. See, it's one thing to claim that we love Christ's mission. We love to be about the work of ministry. And that is a high and a noble thing to claim that we love the Lord. But the scriptural test for whether or not that desire is sincere is do we love the people of Christ? It's no good to be heavenly minded, but not have a concern for his people on earth. In the third century, a Latin bishop by the name of Cyprian in Carthage said this, he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Now you can make of that what you will. Cyprian probably viewed ecclesiology a bit differently than we modern evangelicals might, but take it at face value. You don't get to have Christ without having his body. Likewise, you don't get to serve Christ without also serving his body. And that body expresses itself in local churches, in local congregations. See, this is not the church. Now we come here often. We pray together more days than not. We break bread together. We sit under the preaching and teaching of the word oftentimes together in this very room. But be not deceived. This is not the church. We haven't covenanted together. We're not observing the Lord's Supper. We're not observing baptism. We're not submitted to the authority of elders, of pastors, shepherds. The local church is critically important for us. Parachurch ministry is wonderful, but it's no substitute for the local expression of Christ's body, his bride that he loves, that he died for. And let me just say one more thing on that second point as well, which is Depending on our ministry, many of us are, are itinerant in our ministries. Depending on the season of life that we're in, we may or may not be able to give ourselves fully to the programming of the local church. That's a reality. But can we give ourselves to the people of the local church? Can we say with David, as in Psalm 16, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight? Or can we say with the psalmist, in Psalm 122, that I rejoiced when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Right? Do we revel in the opportunity, the privilege that it is to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the local body of Christ? Thirdly, a mission-minded Christian not only cares for Christ's interests, Christ's people, but also Christ's soldiers. And I've selected that word strategically. So let's move from Timothy to Epaphroditus here, the second fellow that Paul would have us learn about. Verse 25, 
I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, pause. Do you see that escalation there? So, he's a brother. In other words, he's a brother in Christ. He's a fellow Christian. That's a wonderful thing. But not only is he a fellow Christian, you ever out in public and you realize somebody else that you're kind of interacting with is also a believer and there's that initial excitement. Oh yeah, hey, cool. We're both followers of Christ. There's an initial fellowship there, certainly. It's a wonderful thing. But not only that, Epaphroditus is also a fellow worker. He's got skin in the game. He's about the work of ministry, which again, for all of us here in this room, regardless of what department or role we occupy, we're all engaged in ministry. That's exciting. We're all in some sense engaged in full-time ministry in the broadest sense of that term, right? A wonderful thing. But not only that, Paul says, fellow soldier. He describes Epaphroditus as a soldier, which when he talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy about what a soldier is, he says a good soldier shares in Christ's suffering and doesn't entangle himself in the world's affairs. We can read that back into this description here. So not only is he a Christian Epaphroditus, not only is Epaphroditus got skin in the game in ministry, but he's also taken fire. He's also been in the trenches with Paul. He has also spilled blood, sweat, and tears for the cause of Christ. And that's why Paul's heart is knit to his. And one of the ways in which he had expended himself for the sake of the gospel was through this trial of his sickness that Paul describes here. Verse 26, For he has been longing to see you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Which, going to our previous point, he cared more for how the church would deal with the news of his sickness than he did for his own health and well-being. What a heart for the local church. J.C. Ryle, in his book, Sickness, he says this, Many a creed looks fine on the smooth waters of health, which turns out utterly unsound and useless on the rough waves of the sickbed. The storms of winter often bring out the defects in a man's house, and sickness often exposes the gracelessness of a man's soul. In other words, do you want to see who a person really is? See them when they're in bed sick right? All of the filters are off. Now, we all know we're a little selfish, and we would probably excuse Epaphroditus on some level if in his near-death experience, he had displayed a little bit of selfishness as well, right? You see what a person is really made of when they're cast onto their sickbed. And yet, even in that state, Epaphroditus, like Timothy, is concerned for Christ's people and Christ's own interest above his own, even to the point of not caring for his own well-being so much as he cares for the people that he's responsible to disciple and to serve. Then Paul gives us instructions on how we should treat people like Epaphroditus, people who suffer well as soldiers for the sake of the gospel. Now let's listen up, because this is about how we treat missionaries. That touches every single person in this room, right? That's what we do is we interact with missionaries. This is what Paul says. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And just to clear something up, Paul is not accusing the Philippians of not loving him well. When he says that Epaphroditus was sent to complete what was lacking in their service to him, he's simply referring to the fact that Paul is locked away in Rome. The church in Philippi is in Philippi. They're separated by land and sea. And so in order for their love for Paul to be complete, they had to send someone on a short-term missions trip to minister to Paul. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus was. He was an emissary sent from this church to stand alongside, to minister to him, and to be something of a ministry assistant to the apostle. And so in that way, he completes what the Philippians couldn't quite do, removed by land and sea from him. He says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. We have a high privilege, brothers and sisters, of serving and interacting with these missionaries. We're here, we just got through July. And so this would be a good thing to think of at the beginning of July, but we just got done having a number of cross-cultural workers in our midst and interacting with them face-to-face. And I will confess, I don't always receive everyone with all joy and honor such individuals. Sometimes I fall short and I have to check my heart and make sure I'm not being avoidant or aloof or turning down opportunities to break bread with these precious ones whom we serve. And we understand we're all sinners. We're not putting anyone on unrealistic pedestals. We know that they have feet of clay just like us. Nevertheless, Paul says, for those who go out in this way, risking life, risking comforts, risking wealth, risking relationship for the cause of Christ, he says, honor such individuals. It fits with what the Apostle John says in 3 John, verse 6. We know this well. We've heard this passage before. This is a key missions text, but I'll read it anyway. You will do well to send them on their journey, referring to itinerant gospel ministers. John says, send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles or the pagans. In other words, they are not dependent on the world for financial support. They are dependent on the church. So support them well. It says, therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Ponder that. By loving and honoring a missionary well, you can be a fellow worker for the truth. That's an incredible thing. Jesus says in Matthew 10 that whoever gives to one of his gospel preaching disciples, even so much as a cup of cold water, they will by no means miss out on sharing in that prophet's reward. In our case, it's more than cold water. You will by no means miss out on sharing in their reward. But again, as we see, caring for Christ's interests, his people, and for his gospel soldiers is costly. It can't live just in the realm of abstractions or songs or even nice things that we read on a page in scripture. It must be demonstrated just as Timothy and Epaphroditus were living, breathing examples of this missional Christian virtue. Love is costly. It requires something of us. 
C.S. Lewis says this in The Four Loves. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. I'm sure we've had our hearts broken by fellow Christians before, possibly even by missionaries. We all understand that feeling. He goes on, If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. He finishes with this. Lewis says, The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. So yes, loving missionaries, loving the church, and loving the work of Christ will cost you something your heart will possibly break. But there's no alternative. Either we love and risk loss, or we don't love at all. Timothy and Epaphroditus come to us in Philippians as examples of this. So in closing, let's honor these soldiers who are going, risking life and comfort for the sake of the gospel, because whether we're fellow soldiers, whether you're a missionary or missionary status, but working in this building, whatever category or bucket you fall into, we're all called to care for the interests of Christ, the people of Christ, and our fellow soldiers in heeding the example of these two godly men. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture. We thank you for the challenge that even comes from reading not even so much direct commands to us, but just statements about the godliness of Timothy, about the godliness of Epaphroditus, seeing that it wasn't just Jesus, it wasn't just Paul that were superhuman in their virtue, in their sacrifice, but it was these other men, even men that we don't know a lot about, like Epaphroditus. We're reminded, Lord, that we don't have excuses before you, that you want us to operate in the same way, to do nothing from selfish interest, and to have this mind of Christ. And so we pray that you would work this grace into us, help us to strive in this direction, that we would love and serve your people well. We pray that you would bless those that are serving here and abroad. We pray that you would bring fruit for their ministries, establish their work. And we pray that in all of these things, you would receive the glory in our churches, in our homes, and in ABWE, this organization that you have brought about. We love you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Missions Podcast. We hope this was an encouragement to you. If it was, let us know. Email alex at missionspodcast.com or scott at missionspodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. 
Remember, you can follow us on YouTube and also subscribe in your podcast platform of choice. And when you do that, leave us a positive rating and review that'll help this content appear for other people. The algorithm will recommend it and hopefully more people will be encouraged and mobilized into the mission as a result of that. Any topics you'd like us to discuss or guests you'd like for us to have on, you're welcome to share that as well. And of course, the most important way that you can help us is by making a contribution at missionspodcast.com slash support because as a ministry of ABWE, we rely on the generosity of our donors. Thank you once again for joining us and we'll see you next week with more fresh content from the Missions Podcast. Take care.